1: Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 383rd episode of the History Ghostbump podcast, ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I'm your host, Diane.
2: And this is Kelly.
1: Kelly, a little bit of synchronicity. We were watching the second season of Expedition X last evening, and they were just starting to describe this new place that they were going to be checking out. And they mentioned the Innocents and the Montana Vigilantes. And I went, oh, wait, are they doing an episode on a place that we're going to be doing one the same week. Oh, my gosh. Now, it didn't turn out to be the location that we're doing, but it's right near it. Theirs was called Nevada City. And they were talking about a guy named George Ives who was part of the Innocents, and he gets hanged, and they were looking for his grave. And it was a really good episode if you guys want to check it out. And this place does seem to be haunted by something. Definitely haunted by some wild felines out in the (laughs) woods. Indeed, it was. I think they even found some lynx scat or something like that. So they were talking about this guy named George Ives and saying that he had headed up the Innocents. And according to the information we're going to be sharing on our episode, maybe George Ives was a part of the group and maybe co-founded or something. But we have a totally different person who's heading up that group in our episode, which is featuring the ghost town of Bannock. Both of these locations are in Montana. We haven't done a whole lot of locations in Montana. So I'm like, we need to find something to do in Montana here. Yep, totally synchronistic. And this is a location that Ghost Adventures has gone to, so clearly there was some interest in this place. So we'll be sharing that with you guys. But before we get into that, we have some people to welcome into the spooktacular crew. Brooke with an E, Blake, Cynthia, Manda, Sarah with an H, Yvonne, Stephen with a PH, Joanne, Summer, and another person who has a wonderful name, Diane. (laughs) Welcome to the crew, everybody. And now this moment naughty.
2: The moment in oddity was suggested by Jenny Rains. Most of you are probably familiar with the nursery rhyme Hickory Dickory Dock. The rhyme was first published in 1744 in Tommy Thumb's Pretty Songbook, but the rhyme probably goes back to Tudor times and is connected to the magnificent Exeter Cathedral and its astronomical clock. The clock was built to help keep the schedule of prayer. There are also features that indicate the phase of the moon and the date. As a matter of fact, the main dial is a working model of the solar system, as that was understood in the 14th and 15th centuries, with the Earth in the center represented by a golden ball and a moon circling around it with the sun circling outside both. The door below the clock had a hole cut into it somewhere between 1598 and 1621. This was to give a cat access. It seems that animal fat was used to lubricate the mechanisms of the clock, and this attracted mice. So the church used cats to get rid of the vermin, So here you have, the mouse ran up the clock, the clock struck one, the mouse ran down, hickory dickory dock. There is no mention of a cat, but it's pretty clear what we have going on here. It is not definitive that the rhyme is connected to the Exeter Cathedral clock, but if it is, that certainly is odd.
0: Grab your slippers, hot chocolate, flashlight, and maybe even that baseball bat.
2: And now, this month in history...
1: In the month of April on the 21st in 1973, the song Tie a Yellow Ribbon Round the Old Oak Tree tops the pop charts and creates a powerful symbol. The song was written by Irwin Levine and L. Russell Brown and sung by Tony Orlando and Dawn. The song is about a man who has spent three years in prison and is coming home to his girl and wants her to leave a sign that she welcomes him back. The idea of tying a yellow ribbon around an oak tree did not take root at that time, but it would serve as inspiration for Penelope Langren, who was the wife of U.S. Charge Day Affairs in Tehran. She bedecked their Maryland home with yellow ribbons in 1981 during the Iran hostage crisis. Penelope said of the symbol, It just came to me, to give people something to do, rather than throw dog food at Iranians. I said, why don't they tie a yellow ribbon around an old oak tree? That's how it started. People across America tied yellow ribbons around their trees and other things. And after 444 days, the hostages did come home.
2: Bannock, Montana was a wild gold mining town with no sheriff to keep the peace until Henry Plummer came along and he turned out to be the worst criminal of them all brothels dotted the streets, as did saloons, and within its first 14 months of existence, seven people had been executed. The life of the town was short-lived, and unlike its sister cities of Helena and Virginia City, Bannock became a ghost town. The state government maintains the property, and they have chosen to keep it in its dilapidated state. And perhaps that is why it seems that some ghosts are frozen in time here. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the Ghost Town of Bannock.
1: The name Pikes Peakers came along early in the Colorado Gold Rush and was first used in the Missouri Statesman in November of 1858. The term was used to describe the gold-hungry Georgia miners, politicians, bloomer girls, stampeders, Cherokee Indians, Kansas Territory town builders, promoters, and other assortment of characters that arrived along the front range of the Rockies. The title became a sort of brand used on a variety of wares from guns to shovels and picks, to clothing, to boots, and even food. It was Pike's Peak or bust for these dreamers. And for many, it was bust. John White was a man looking for a new boom, and he found it in what would eventually become Montana. He and other Colorado Pike's Peakers traveled north, and on July 28, 1862, White found gold at Grasshopper Creek. Two years after that, President Abraham Lincoln would establish the Montana Territory. White would go bust in a very bad way shortly after his discovery. He was murdered in
2: 1864, and the killer was never found. Other strikes would be found in Alder Gulch, which would become Virginia City, and Last Chance Gulch, which would become Helena. But Bannock would be the first boomtown in the area, and by the spring of 1863, there were nearly 3,000 people in the town. It was named after the local Bannock Native American tribe. The post office was established in November of 1863, making Bannock an official city, and while that sounds very civilized, Bannock was anything but civilized. The growth was so fast that local government couldn't keep order, and there was no sheriff either. There were no federal marshals, just a judge, Chief Justice Sidney Edgerton, and he was basically powerless. Fortunately, word of people being killed over mine claims in other towns got the miners serious about protecting their claims, and they formed a miners' court to handle disputes. The laws were simple and absolute and kept problems at bay. As the mines
1: boomed, the city grew and was named the county seat of Beaverhead County. Eventually, there were 10,000 people in town with three hotels, a brewery, a restaurant, three blacksmith shops, two meat markets, three bakeries, four saloons, and a billiards hall. They had the most
2: important part with that brewery. Exactly. I mean, (laughs) if you
1: don't have that, then forget it. It's not really a town. It's kind of like instead of having a post office establish a town, it should have been a brewery. I agree. By 1881, though, the gold rush was over and people started leaving, including town founder Erasmus Darwin Levitt, who had been the town's doctor. As the population declined, nearby Dillon became the new county seat. The town closed down officially in 1940 as the mines closed for good, and then it sat abandoned. Courts ordered the mining company to put the area up for auction in 1954, but even before that, a group of people from western Montana began work to refurbish and stabilize buildings. The site became a National Historic Site in 1961
2: and is today the Bannock State Park. There are 60 structures still standing, ranging from simple log cabins to brick-and-frame structures. Most of these sites can be visited, and the Visitor Center offers a self-guided tour brochure. None of them is renovated, so paint is peeling and there is no furniture in most buildings. The town seems frozen in time, and that may be why some spirits remain here. One of those spirits is said to be the former sheriff, Henry Plummer. Plummer walked into town shortly after it was founded. He was handsome and charismatic and easily won over friends because they didn't know his background. He was the son of a sea captain and had been an East Coast transplant, first arriving in Nevada City where he worked in a bakery and then was elected sheriff and fell in love with another man's wife. He killed the husband in a duel and was sent to San Quentin Prison to serve a 10-year sentence the people of Nevada City petitioned to have him released as they felt it was self-defense. So Plummer was out in six months.
1: And back into a life of crime. He joined a gang and they robbed stagecoaches. Then he headed for Bannock in 1863. The people of Bannock had no idea that Plummer had murdered someone and been a thief when he walked into town. He showed up well-dressed and charmed everyone. They were so charmed that the Miners Court elected him to sheriff. What they didn't know was that Plummer still had some unsavory friends, about 25 of them, who were river pirates, villains, outlaws, and Civil War deserters. This gang called themselves the Innocents, and they were anything but, and they terrorized people traveling between the gold mining camps. They not only robbed many of them, but they also murdered 102 people. The miners weren't idiots, and they eventually figured out that their sheriff was a bad guy, and they formed a posse they called the Montana Vigilantes. Over the next 42 days, the vigilantes rounded up 24 of the gang members, along with Henry Plummer himself. They hanged all of them, including Plummer, on the Gallows Hill just above Bannock. There's still a gallows in town, but it is not the original as vandals destroyed that. It is in the original location, which could be seen from the death row cell in the jail. That cell had a 12-inch by 8-inch window. The jail itself was built from 10-inch logs and supposedly never suffered a jailbreak. And it wasn't a very big building. It's still there today, of course. And uh, I don't know how many cells are inside of it, but it didn't sound like there was a whole lot. And so here's where we kind of pull away from the story that they were telling on Expedition X. Henry Plummer is said to be the head of the innocents. Now, you will have some historians that will dispute this and say they don't have a whole lot of proof for it, that Henry Plummer wasn't this bad guy, that he was hanged for no reason. But, I mean, I would think it would take a lot for a town to hang their sheriff. Absolutely. So I would... There's probably a little bit of truth to whatever's going on here. And so I don't know if George Ives was a partner with Henry Plummer or what have you. And if maybe they hanged some of the innocents over in Nevada City. They had a very similar looking gallows, that picture that they showed. I think it was an actual picture from the time with a guy that was hanging from it. Very simple gallows. It's just basically two very long log poles going up and then a log pole across the top. And they just... I am assuming they maybe had him on a horse and kicked the horse out from underneath him or something because there was no trapdoor for him to fall through. Right, or they let him just hang pulled, for a long
2: time. They pulled it up, or that too—that could be. Plummer was buried in a box in Hangman's Gulch. His grave was robbed twice. During the second grave robbing, Plummer's head was taken and kept in the back of one of the saloons. Lovely.
1: I'll have whatever he's having. Oh wait, doesn't look like he has a body. <laughs>
2: which incidentally burned to the ground eventually. Could it have been Plummer's spirit? The ghost of Henry Plummer has been seen wandering around the ghost town. Some say that the story of his gang was a lie and that Plummer was wrongfully accused and now he wants to avenge his name. The Skinner Saloon, which dates to 1862, had been his favorite hangout, and that is where his spirit is most seen. Inside this rustic wood building, one can find the original carved wood long bar. He's also seen at Christmas Store.
1: And that bar is really cool. I've seen pictures, Kelly. It is still there from back in the day. And it's a really cool looking carved bar. One day. Maybe we'll go. Yeah, it's Montana. I don't think so. I, I believe in one of the on one of the websites, it said that it got down to like minus 68 degrees. That one time. They
2: do have a summer. Well, yeah,
1: <laughs> I might go to Montana in the summer. I mean, it does look like a really cool place because, you know, some of these ghost towns now it mentions Virginia City here. This is the Virginia City in Montana. It's not the one that we've done an episode about that's down in Nevada. That one is more commercialized, shall
2: we say? Yeah, most definitely. Where
1: this one has just been left and preserved the way that it was. It's not commercialized at all. So I'd almost prefer to go to this because it's a legit real ghost town that hasn't been commercialized, I guess you could say. So Chrisman's store. One of the reasons Plummer might be haunting this location is that he had offices in the back of the building. So this is basically where the sheriff's office was. The building housed a general store. This was a central gathering space as miners were in there to get supplies, not only for gold digging, but also groceries. Men did the shopping in town and gathered in front of the fireplace to discuss news, politics and gossip. Because we know men do that, too. Right, Kelly? <laughs>
2: Yes they do. (laughs) They always
1: act like women are the only ones who are gossips and I'm like no men gossip too. There's more than just plumber's ghost here. There are also ghosts that gather as though they are discussing the town's news in the afterlife right there in front of the fireplace. Judith of Ghosts Poltergeist and Hauntings took a picture that seems to show a group of misty apparitions grouped around a piece of furniture. A man whose great grandfather ran a mercantile in Bannock in 1869 and I don't know if it was this one in particular used to work at the visitor center And he feels that there are spirits in the ghost town.
2: Next, we have the Rowe House. There is a house in town that had belonged to William Rowe. He built it in 1866, and it was the first wood frame house in Bannock. Fielding L. Graves later owned the house, and he is known for being the inventor of the electric dredge and first bucket dredge. And it's not haunted, but I just
1: thought that was really an interesting place because it had this inventor who would live there. Besset House or Crying Baby House? The Bassett house had belonged to Abed Amity Bassett. He had been a member of the Montana Vigilantes who stopped the murderous practices of Plummer's Gang. He spent his entire life in Bannock raising sheep, and he also owned the bank exchange saloon and the hotel Meat at one time. He died in Bannock in 1919. He allowed his house to be used as a hospital where people could be quarantined during deadly epidemics from typhoid, diphtheria, and other killer diseases. Fourteen infants died during a smallpox epidemic in the 1880s. Many children lost their lives in this house to a variety of those diseases. When Zach and the Ghost Adventures crew were filming inside the house with a park ranger, all of them heard two knocks. Greg Birchfield took a picture of his kids in the attic of the house, and when he developed the picture, there appeared to be two small orbs next to his kids in the picture. And of course, we know what our opinions are on orbs. Maybe it was just some sun flare or dust or something. (laughs) But it is curious that children would have died in this house and were hanging around his kids, maybe.
2: Definitely. And there's an old Methodist church here, which is in pretty good condition and looks exactly the way one would expect an old wooden church in a ghost town to look like. The building was built in 1877 and the congregation was headed by William Wesley Orsdell, whom everyone called Brother Van. The church is still used for community events like live speaker events and concerts. The interior is a large open rectangular room with wooden bench seats in rows. A person was taking pictures in the Methodist church and caught a weird anomaly that looked like a ghostly figure sitting in a chair. And even though you could say, well, maybe
1: it's something with the sun filtering through the windows, it looked very different than the other people who were sitting there. And it was basically white. It was like this white mist. So I don't think it was something that a camera would cause to have happen. Kelly, next we have the Schoolhouse a Masonic Building. The schoolhouse still has an antique merry-go-round in front of it, which I think people still ride to this day, because, you, you know, when you see a merry-go-round, it has the trail carved out around it from people running in a circle, and it has a sign next to it that says, you know, antique merry-go-round, ride at your own risk. I'm like, I'm sure some people have written on it, it looks like. I would imagine. Inside, the blackboard holds the rules for teachers back in 1915. You're going to love these, Kelly. I've already skimmed through them, and... Part of me is going, oh, hell no. I don't know how they kept any (laughs) teachers. You will not marry. You will not keep company with men. You must be home between 8 p.m. and 6 a.m. You may not loiter at the ice cream store. (laughs) Why? (laughs) You better just go in and get your flavor and get out, lady. (laughs) You may not travel outside city limits without permission. You may not ride in a carriage or automobile with any man unless he is your father or brother. You may not smoke cigarettes. You may not dress in bright colors because, oh my gosh, what does that mean if you're wearing bright colors? You may not dye your hair. You're out, Kelly. (laughs) Thanks. You used to dye your hair too, darling. (laughs) (laughs) You must wear at least two petticoats. Oh my gosh, in the summer, I'm sure it gets a little warm in Montana.
2: Now we're both out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Your dress may not be any shorter than two inches above your ankles. Or else it's scandalous must be a loosey goosey (laughs) you must keep the schoolroom neat and clean sweep the floor at least once a day and scrub the floor at least once a week start the fire by 7 a.m. so the room will be warm by 8 a.m. can you imagine so a teacher could not get married back then it's crazy well Laura Ingalls was out then too yeah she got married (laughs) she was all over Almanzo she could not leave that manly alone The upper floor of the schoolhouse was home to the Masonic Lodge in town, and there are still artifacts and furniture up there. So I'd like to poke around there. I always like checking out all those different artifacts and such. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. This episode was brought to you by Smile Brilliant. Hey, Kelly, how is that mouth
2: guard working out for you? Oh my gosh, it's been helping so much. I'm not waking up with headaches in the morning, which is my status quo, I guess you could say. (laughs) So it's definitely improving my sleep and I know that my teeth are going to benefit as well.
1: It's definitely helping me too because you're not waking me up with your grinding teeth.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But Kelly, you don't need to feel bad about grinding your teeth because there are 40 million other Americans who do the same thing in their sleep, whether it's stress, anxiety, or an abnormal bite. Chronic teeth grinding will lead to all kinds of trouble with your teeth from expensive dental procedures that you might have to get done, your enamel getting worn down. It could lead to tooth decay. And then, of course, that gives you bad breath. So you got all kinds of stuff going on there. The number one teeth grinding prevention that most people use is a custom fitted night guard. And If you get one from your dentist, you could spend anywhere between $200 to $300 for that. And for a lot of people that can be very expensive because you're probably going to go through more than one of those guards each year. Smile Brilliant has a lab direct process where you can get the same custom fitted night guards for as little as $45 per guard. And Smile Brilliant also offers teeth whitening trays that are custom fitted and the Carry Pro electric toothbrush. Head over to www.smilebrilliant.com and use Bump at checkout for 30% off. Once again, that's www.smilebrilliant.com and use Bump, B U M P, at checkout. This episode has been brought to you by Hello Fresh. Kelly, I am stuffed after this week's meals that we have gotten from Hello Fresh. They have been so wonderful. I am too. And my mouth's a little bit hot too, especially from those spicy meatballs. Oh my gosh, they were so good. <laughs> and how about those pork burgers? Luscious. I've been loving HelloFresh because it used to be so stressful with us trying to come up with unique and fresh ideas for meals for dinner every single night. And these meals are ready in 30 minutes or less. And it's like you're a chef all of a sudden.
2: Yeah, it's so
1: easy. Even Mort can do these things. And he has been, which we're very grateful for. It's been saving us some time.
2: Mort is a chef. Voila.
1: HelloFresh offers 25 or more recipes each week that you get to choose from. If you're vegan, they
2: have special recipes for you as well. They even have snack items. And I know Mort has been sneaking into the pantry for those. (laughs) I mean, some of those desserts are pretty luscious. Indeed they are. Their fresh ingredients are sourced directly from growers and delivered from the farm to your front door in under a week. Contact free, of course. Over four in five HelloFresh customers say HelloFresh helps them lead a healthier lifestyle with delicious, low-calorie, carb-smart, and vegetarian options available each week. Go to HelloFresh.com
1: slash Bump12 and use code Bump12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. You can't beat that deal. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Bump12 and use code Bump12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. This is America's number one meal kit
2: to Hotel Mead, which is a two-story red brick building that was first built to serve as the first Beaverhead County Courthouse in 1875.
1: I love the look on your face when you're like Beaverhead. (laughs) How in the hell did that county get its name? I don't want to know.
2: Yeah, I was just scanning ahead. I'm like, does that really say Beaverhead? Okay. (laughs) Bannock was the county seat at that time. But once things started slowing down, the nearby town of Dillon became the county seat. That would be in 1881, and the courthouse was no longer needed, so the building sat abandoned. In 1890, Dr. John Singleton Meade bought the building. He decided that with some remodeling that he could turn the old courthouse into a hotel. And the Hotel Meade was born, and soon became the hub for Bannock Society. The hotel hosted all of the town's major events and receptions, and it did this with flair, serving everything on fine china over expensive white linens. Dr. Mead had added on to the back of the building, a new huge kitchen, a dining room with tables that could seat up to six people, and living quarters. The hotel would cycle through being opened and closed based on whether the mines were open or closed. When the town shut down in the 1940s, so did the hotel. The disembodied sounds
1: of children are heard here. This could be for a couple of reasons. First, the hotel sometimes served as a hospital and children would have died here. The other reason is that Bannock came under Native American attack and some of the children were hidden in the safes there. So I don't know if that's perhaps something residual was left behind. Could be. Cold spots are felt throughout the building. Some people believe that Dr. Mead is still here since he loved the hotel so much. Greg Birchfield was investigating the hotel in 2005. He went up to the second floor with a recorder and immediately felt a presence near him and there was a cold spot. He asked, are you a little chicken? The accented voice of what sounded like a teenager responded. Now, he didn't say what it said, but I'm assuming if you call out loud, are you a little chicken? It probably was not a nice response back. (laughs) I would probably imagine not. I know me wanting to be a prankster ghost when I get to that stage would be like push him and then say, no, are you a little chicken? (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe I would have, you know,
2: behind him or something. Oh, my. Yeah, I'm a little chicken. The most well-known and cited apparition at this location belongs to Dorothy Dunn. The local paper read, A most deplorable accident occurred at Bannock late last week, when Miss Dorothy Dunn, a popular young girl of that place, was drowned. Miss Dunn, in company with her sister Fern Dunn and a friend Ruth Warnick, had gone to wade in an old pond near the old Upper Gold Dredge boat. In some manner, the girls got in deep water, and before they could realize it, they were in over their heads. Smith Paddock, a 10-year-old boy, happened to be passing near the place, and seeing the girls floundering in the water, he ran to their rescue and managed to save two of them. By the time he had managed to get Miss Dorothy from the water, she was beyond help. The body of the young girl was carried through the streets and taken to the Hotel Mead. I think
1: that's so great that a 10-year-old boy stepped up and saved two of the girls. Absolutely. It did not take long for Dorothy to make her first appearance, and that was to her best friend, Ruth. Ruth. The ghost of Dorothy has been seen multiple times over the past 100 years. And she's always wearing a long blue dress, which is a little synchronistic, too, because the other (laughs) Expedition X that we were watching, the ghost was wearing a long blue dress.
2: Indeed, she was. And she drowned. She did drown. And it was from a car crashing into the water. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. She's usually seen on the second floor of the former hotel,
1: and she sometimes tries to talk to people, but no sound comes from her mouth. This type of thing is usually reported by children. One seven-year-old said that she could see Dorothy's mouth moving, but could hear no sounds and that it scared her. The apparition sometimes looks out on the street from a
2: second-story window, too. Francisco Ferreira told Zach about an experience he had at the hotel. He was visiting with a couple of friends, and they had been up on the second floor. As they started down the stairs, Francisco clearly heard the voice of a little girl say, Hi, Daddy. He turned around and then felt something he could not see pushing him. He felt that it was a harmful push, meant to send him down the stairs. He would have fallen had he not been holding the rail. Things continued to be strange for him at home. The following morning, he came into his kitchen and found his little boy running around as if he were playing with someone. Someone Francisco couldn't see. Francisco also developed long scratches on his back. In the pictures, Diane could clearly see two long scratches on each of his lats, making a V-shape going down. He regretted visiting the ghost town. It
1: was kind of hard to see the scratches because the light was shining right on his back and so it was reflecting. But there might have been a third scratch on each side. I just couldn't see it clearly which is what I think would probably be the case, because very, very rarely would you see just the two scratches. Generally, right, there's three scratches. It's very
2: common for it to be a three yeah. three scratch.
1: If it's malevolent mark. and it's scratching you in a dangerous kind of way, I would attribute that to more of a demonic type character, and they love to play with that number three. Yep, I would as well. Now, if you just get one little scratch here or there, I sometimes think that that's just a spirit trying to get your attention and say, hey, I'm here. This was a personal experience that was posted on the Haunted Houses website. And this is from 2005. Tom and I visited Bannock in the Hotel Mead during a working vacation on a crisp August morning. I was wearing a heavy coat and hat with gloves because it was nippy outside. So they're probably saying it was about 40 and I'd probably be saying it was 60.
2: Okay, yes, it was August. Maybe we won't be going.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The park ranger told us that the Hotel mead was haunted, so I went on alone because Tom said he wanted to get some other photos and would catch up with me. The heavy front wooden doors open inwards. Upon entering the front door, one finds the lobby reception area with a curving, once elegant staircase, which winds up to the second floor where the guest rooms were located. Looking straight ahead is the large dining room with a side room off the wide hallway. Other rooms where food was prepared and the kitchen also were found off this main hallway. I walked alone around the spooky downstairs trying to imagine how grand it once was, waiting for husband Tom to join me. No one else who was living was in the building with me. I thought I'd be polite and quietly talk to whomever unseen entity was there as I verbally admired the various rooms, as if I was visiting as a guest talking to the host, which is totally something you and I would be doing. Absolutely, without a doubt. And if I remember correctly, Zach was investigating this. He had walked in and the first time he walked in there by himself, he heard a loud like metallic clanging sound. And when he walked back to wherever the stove would be, I'm imagining in the kitchen area, it looked like the grate underneath it had been moved. And there was like this fresh pile of like dust that was underneath it. And so he's like, I don't think that that was open probably before. And that dust underneath just looks fresh like it had just opened up this door maybe like scooted the dust out yeah when it weird. opened it while studying the various dining rooms kitchen area etc here and there one sees glimpses of fine flooring wallpaper and other evidence of how beautiful this hotel was in its heyday the main staircase in the front lobby area has lovely wood carving on the rails and had at one time fancy steps which must have been inviting for tired travelers during this tour of the downstairs i didn't feel a presence but then again i usually don't While the downstairs was cold so was the outside and I was warmly dressed so if there were cold spots I didn't notice them. After taking a look around the very quiet still chilly downstairs I decided to see where my better half went as there was something too spooky about going up to the second floor alone. There was something about the shadowy staircase leading up to the second floor from the kitchen that made me decide not to go there just yet. I turned into the main hallway and walked through the lobby toward the large front door of the building which I had left open.
2: When I was about 50 yards from the door in the main lobby, the heavy wooden door suddenly was pushed hard from the inside with a hard slam. I jumped and let out a yelp of surprise. There was no wind outside, and the only explanation was that an unseen presence wanted to let me know that I wasn't as alone as I thought on the first floor, and wanted to see me jump for chuckles. As I have limited psychic ability, entities who had wanted to say hi to me in past adventures got my attention through physical means. Or perhaps this entity wasn't pleased that I didn't come up to the second floor for a visit. Or maybe upset that I left the door open in the first place. I apologized verbally for leaving the door open and made a hasty exit. I did go back to this hotel with husband Tom to have a living escort this time as we explored the hotel together. The second floor as well, about 30 minutes later. Tom took some pictures with his digital camera which captured the atmosphere of this building on both floors.
1: And apparently nothing else happened, so... Debbie from Canada wrote on the Legends of America website, About 12 years ago, my husband, mother-in-law, daughter, and I went on a road trip from southwest Saskatchewan to Montana. We love visiting Montana, so much to see and do. After a long day of driving, I was finally able to convince my husband to make the detour to see Bannock. I'm an avid fan of American ghost towns. After a leisurely stroll down the main road of Bannock, going into buildings that were accessible to tourists and looking into windows of buildings that were not accessible, My daughter and I decided to sit on the front steps of the Mead Hotel while we waited for my husband and mother-in-law. After about 10 minutes, I got up and stood next to the front door and said to my daughter, I wonder if we're allowed to go into this building. The front door immediately groaned and creaked open all the way to welcome us in. I was stunned. I went in and closed the door firmly behind us and waited for about five minutes to see if the door was not latched properly and would open on its own or if there were a breeze. There was no breeze that hot day. It did not open by itself while I was there. A short while later, a couple opened the door and walked in. I am convinced that someone unseen welcomed my daughter and me into this fantastic-looking old hotel. I would love to go back and take pictures. Who knows what I may find? Sounds to me like they were welcomed
2: in. I definitely agree.
1: This just sounds like such a cool place to visit because it's like you just wander in and out of buildings that are... You normally would be like, oh, I can't go into that old abandoned building. And here
2: you can. That's what I'm saying. We need to buy you a parka.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You might be able to convince me to go to Montana for that.
2: Bannock is a cool ghost town because it has resisted commercialism while maintaining the buildings. Does it still serve as a harbor for its former residents? Are these buildings haunted? That That
1: is is for you to to decide. decide.
2: Well, Kelly, like I said, maybe you'll get me to go north that way.
1: Okay, I'm heading over to Burlington right now.
2: I wonder how close all that
1: <laughs> stuff is to Yellowstone and that kind of thing.
2: Well, if we're going, we're definitely doing Yellowstone and I'll probably say hey to my cousin because she lives in Billings.
1: I mean, if we're going to do that whole thing, then we should be going up to South Dakota and hitting Mount Rushmore and
2: stuff. <laughs> we might be taking a road trip up north. We'll you see. need two parkas. <laughs> <laughs> Burlington Coat Factory, here we come. <laughs> Well, we'd love for you guys
1: to check out our website at HistoryGoesBump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at HistoryGoesBump at gmail.com or on any of our various social media. Jeannie wrote us and said, this is to give us a laugh. While I've never seen a ghost, I know that my car is haunted with a gremlin and he doesn't like my husband. Every time my husband drives my car, the check engine light comes on. If I'm driving my husband around for two long running errands, the check engine light comes on. I will drive the same distance as my husband and nothing from my car. In the morning when I start my car up, I rub the steering wheel and say good morning and tell my car that it's me driving. While it's not Christine bad, I just do not want my husband to drive my car even for a quick errand. I even tell him my car doesn't like him. (laughs) Oh my word. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Then I told her, well, I had a car that was like that too, where the check engine light would just come on and off randomly, never could figure out why. I'd take it over to the mechanic and say, okay, it's got the check engine light on. Let's see if it threw a code and it would never throw a code. So I always said it was possessed. (laughs) Fussy McFussykins. Then we heard from Rose Marie. She said, hi, just wanted to say what a great podcast you make. I wanted to share an experience with you that my cousin asked me to write. She's a historian and worked at a rather old building that was once an orphanage. She says it looks like a Victorian home. The town asked to do a project on it for a future ghost tour here in the Midwest. I was excited as she told me about this, but for now it's top secret. Anyway, she said she was in there alone. She found it easier to concentrate as the house was quiet. They just renovated it so it looks like it's glory days of the orphanage. The parlor used to be a sewing room where girls were taught to sew. She sat at the desk looking through documents, making notes when someone knocked on the door rather loud. She told me she swung around to look, but no one was there. Then a rough voice of a lady boomed, ordering her to leave. She thinks she upset the mistress of the house. It was a big deal to be in the sewing room, and one must sew, not read or write. She obeyed and left to the dining room, apologizing. She said, too, you can hear kids, mostly residual sounds, but nonetheless, very creepy. Dang. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that with us, Rose. We heard from Suzanne, and she needed to help make a correction for the Tri-County truck stop. I had read in a book... That that song Route 66, Get Your Kicks on Route 66. Right. Was written by a Marine named Bobby Fuller. And she was like, where did you get that information? I'm like, "Uh oh, (laughs) (laughs) out of a book.
2: Yeah. You would think that that would have been corrected by the editor, but apparently not.
1: No, because Kelly, if you Google it, Bobby Troop comes up everywhere he was a Marine. He was also an actor and a songwriter and everything. So I am sorry for getting that name wrong. It was Bobby Troop who wrote Route 66.
2: We will not name the author of the book that had the wrong name in it. No. So
1: thank you for correcting that for us, Suzanne. And the reason why she knew that is she said, when I was growing up, the TV show Emergency was a primetime hit with my family. Pop told us about one of the stars having penned that song. He was Bobby Troop since moving to Missouri 30 plus years ago and exploring a bit of U.S. 66 history, namely in the Springfield area, I often think of the tune with a smile. So very cool. Yeah. We also wanted to thank Eliza for her email. It was very nice. And she said that she loves cemeteries and even stayed a day at Mount Moriah once in Deadwood. Very spooky up there, but she loved it. Kelly, the ghost hunt at the lighthouse that we're doing the night before the live show in St. Augustine, Florida has been so popular that I asked the lighthouse if it would be all right if we expanded and offered more openings for that. And they said, well, of course. So we now have 23 spots still available for the ghost hunt. So if you were wanting to do that, we were telling people we're almost out of tickets. You better get them now you have a little bit of time, but I wouldn't wait too long because I'm sure the rest of these are going to go just as fast as the first uh, 23 went.
2: Certainly. Yeah, definitely snatch those up so you have your own spot. And you can do that by going over to
1: historygoesbump.com. There's a tab there that says St. Augustine Hunt, and it will tell you where you can get your tickets. want to thank you guys for joining us on this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers.
0: Dispatches from the Grave Digger.
1: First, we'd like to thank Jenny Rains for your one-time donation; that is greatly appreciated. And also Susan Johnson, thank you for your generous one-time donation. And we want to welcome into the cemetery Anthro Geek Twenty Nine. We're going to be burying you under an obelisk tombstone.
2: Thank you so much for supporting History Goes Bump. We could not produce this show without the support of our Patreons. And this episode was also brought to you by Smile Brilliant and Hello Fresh.
0: Be sociable, drop the chain rattling, neck biting and shape shifting and join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump, like the page and follow us.
2: would be found in alder goat Goach?
1: gooch. we're gonna go to the gooch.
2: other strikes would be found in Alder... man ranging from simple lob... Lof. ranging from simple lob cabins to brick lob and- I think you said lob Golly. cabins <laughs> ranging from simple log cabins to brick and framed <laughs>
1: Always end it's up singing morning. something in these bloopers. <laughs> who were
2: river prior? Who were r- r- river Pirates. River r- 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 Try to say that a you lot know, of times rascally together. wranglers. <laughs> yeah. He's also seen at Christmas store. Christmas. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it does look a, look look like a lot like Christmas. Like
1: Christmas.
2: <laughs> oh, we're singing again. <laughs> When Miss Dorothy Dunn, a popular lung girl lung girl
0: <laughs> she Good was green. a lung girl. <laughs>